Welcome. I'm Jessica Tejan, and this is the Evolving to Exceptional podcast, where we talk about reaching peak performance in our workplaces, homes, and communities so that we can live our best life possible, an exceptional life. The topic of this, and and maybe just to get started for a second and introduce everybody, I'm Jessica Tejan. I've been in the corporate space for over a decade until I experienced my own burnout, which I only recently discovered was actually burnout. Um, I didn't really appreciate what happened to me about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and what, what, what that created in both my body and in my life at the time. And so I wanted to share some of the insights that I've gleaned as a result of that. I now own a business called Evolving to Exceptional. Our business is really focused on how to help people live their best lives. And so what better way to maybe talk about doing that than addressing the challenges that exist right now with burnout. Uh, Dana, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Dana Parker and I have been in the life coaching personal development world for over 13 years and I'm here in support of Jessica, Evolving to Exceptional, Meldina, and a part of this beautiful company and business in the arena of our new program that we'll we'll touch on today called the Evolving Female Leaders. So I'm really excited to be here. I love being with Meldina and Jessica, and I always feel an honor to be a part. So thank you for having me. Meldina, how about you? I am Maldina Alibasic. I am the Director of Performance Management at Evolving to Exceptional. I've worked with Jessica, which I can't believe, but it's already been a little over five years now. So I've worked pretty closely with her and I've kind of been through all the challenges that she's had and, and the experience that she has when it comes to burnout. So I'm just really excited to be here and get to share some of my tidbits as well and, and what I've witnessed throughout my career and working closely with Jessica. So really excited to be here and to talk about this topic. Yeah. So kind of diving right in, am I stressed or is it burnout? Um, you know, what is the the difference between the two things? And I think this is, you know, for me, uh, something I kind of knew was going on in the background. There's tons of you know, uh, articles out there talking about burnout, um, and especially in the healthcare industries um, and the technology industries where burnout's just running rampant. Uh, But I didn't necessarily think about it uh, for myself so much until I picked up Jennifer Moss's book, The Burnout Epidemic, which was fantastic, a great read. And as I was reading it and I got to the description of what burnout looks like, I suddenly realized that that's exactly what I had gone through. And I think sometimes what we do is we think about burnout as something else, something that impacts other people or that's kind of going on in the background, but not necessarily understanding how that might be impacting us, especially for all the HR professionals out there. Burnout is particularly rampant right now in in our space. And I think that that's a big part of my background. And I think that, you know, that we don't always take the time. We're so busy focused on employees. We don't always take the time to consider whether we're in fact also in burnout or what's going on with us internally. And so I think, you know, what I hope you take away from today is the the practical applications of what it looks like what we can maybe do about it and, and what you can do about it if you're already in it. And that's probably the hardest part is if you're already in burnout, what it means and what it takes to kind of come out and come back from that. So if we 
get into just, just to start, what is burnout? How do we know how to identify it? What does it look like? One of the things that we often think, or the way I've always thought it looked like was something like this, you know, was like a complete meltdown, non-functional zoned out, you know, mode. And so when I was in burnout, I didn't look like this. I still got ready every day. I was still going to work. I was still doing all of my things. I didn't look like I was having a complete meltdown. And I think for a lot of people, that's true because what burnout isn't is some big explosion. Burnout is not a quick, all of a sudden, everything implodes, everything's, you know, you're, you've completely gone from functional to non-functional. Instead, burnout is really a slow burn. It adds up slowly. It starts as that spark and it, that fire gets bigger and bigger until the whole forest is on fire. And in her book, Jennifer talks about um, pebbles to boulders, that burnout is like these little pebbles that we pick up and over time they become these heavy boulders that we're carrying. And it's that result that is, I think what gets people confused is not seeing that this, that this isn't quick, that it isn't a one-time, you know, type of situation that occurs. How about you guys? Have you guys seen that Dana and, and Meldina? Yeah, I definitely think that it what can happen in situations like this is is it things start to build internally. A little bit of stress turns into daily stress, which then turns into the whole week of stressful, which then turns into when you're at that like pushing point where one thing can tip you over and then something in life happens and it just completely pushes you over the edge those things can go, the little things can go unnoticed, but then the big thing in life shows us the reality and the truth. You know, the big thing that can happen um, shows us that, you know, pushes us over and shows us, oh, I'm not caring for myself. I'm not taking good care of myself. And that can go unnoticed, especially for women, because we're so used to giving, 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 giving to everyone around us and everyone's needs are really important to us. And a lot of times more important than our own needs. So I see it particularly a lot in women. Yeah. And, the, and then you've got the added challenge, of course, for, for women of, of childbirth, uh, pregnancy and children, right? So not that men don't have the children, but they don't have the pregnancy and, and childbirth necessarily. So this is the definition, actually, that I read in Jennifer Moss's book that just struck, struck me so much. So what is burnout? Burnout is actually not like a medical condition, although it has health impacts. This is the World Health Organization definition is that it's a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. So that means, I mean, chronic in and of itself means it has to have existed for an extended period of time. It has to have continued to progress over time. And then it's categorized by these three things, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job, and reduce professional efficacy. So that means like not feeling like you're productive or as accomplished or as effective, like you're you're just not as energized and into the, the work that you're doing. And for me, as I was going through my burnout, again, that I only now recognize as burnout, I didn't at the time, you know, I went from loving my team and having such energy and excitement to just feeling uh, like de defeated, like I couldn't um, move things forward. And I think a way to think about this is to really distinguish the, the differences between stress and burnout. And so when we think of stress versus burnout, they're very different responses. 
Stress is characterized by over-engagement. Burnout is characterized by disengagement. So when we're stressed, stress can either be positive or negative. Now, chronic stress is never healthy, but when we're stressed, there is some degree of healthy stress that allows us to get energized to, to, to get that, um, uh, that endorphin rush so that we can put in the, the effort that we need to accomplish the results we're trying to achieve. Burnout, on the other hand, is more of disengagement. It's, it's giving up. It's dropping out of that state. When we're stressed, our emotions are actually overreactive. Whereas when we're in burnout, that they're, they're blunted. They're kind of muted. We don't feel them as much. We're just kind of in that, in that um, more neutral mode. Stress produces urgency and hyperactivity. So it gets you moving, gets you getting things done. Whereas burnout produces helplessness and hopelessness. So if you're feeling that like helplessness or like nothing's going to change, I can't make a difference, that's burnout. Stress causes a loss of energy. Burnout causes a loss of motivation, ideals, and hope. So when we get into burnout, we're no longer hopeful that we can achieve it or that we can overcome the issues or that we can address challenges. We've kind of dropped out of that energy source. Stress leads to anxiety disorders, whereas burnout leads to detachment and depression. It really pushes you down into that I don't care mentality. Stress is, pri their primary damage is physical, whereas burnout, the primary damage is emotional. So it's really impacting you at an emotional level um, on our beliefs and um, at, a, at a beliefs and behaviors part of our existence rather than necessarily the physical, although there are physical elements because it's the chronic stress that gets us to burnout. Stress may kill you prematurely. Burnout may make life seem like it's not worth living. Burnout may push you to the point of, I just can't do this anymore. It's too much. It's too much to try to accomplish. It's too much to do. So what's happening when we're getting, you know, that's getting us into this burnout mode? What's happening with, with this stress? So I like to talk about our nervous systems here. And I think what's happening in our workplaces in particular is that we are in a constant state of incoherence. And the, the, the chart on the right of that slide is the incoherence. And it's where we're bouncing from our sympathetic to our parasympathetic nervous system up and down. So our sympathetic, which is up in the chart, is, is our uh, fight, flight, freeze response. It is our high stress, there's danger, I need to react, I need to respond. Now, not necessarily in the current environment, um, you know, that can be anything, you know, that can be, um, we can get into sympathetic just because our kids are crying, or we're trying to get food on the table, or, you know, we're, we're there's a tight deadline coming up, and we're stressed about hitting that deadline. It doesn't necessarily have to be an actual catastrophic or life-threatening incident to, to put you up into sympathetic. Now, parasympathetic, which is the down, is the opposite of that. So that's when we drop into rest, um, they call it rest and digest, right? It's when we get drop into this state of recovery from being in sympathetic. And I think what happens is in a lot of workplaces, we've been in, in sympathetic dominance. So we've been in this state where we're just in this constant heightened nervous system in this constant fight, flight, freeze. And then we maybe crash. And for me, this was definitely the case. I think I spent four years in sympathetic dominance, mostly always stressed in the workplace, coming home, crashing, 
um, in order to just sustain my life in that way. And I think what we're seeing in our workplaces is instead of being in a coherent state where we're helping people move from a certain degree of stress to balance, back to stress to balance, we're moving up and down between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. Instead, we're on the right side. We're super incoherent. There is no consistency. And what that means is it's impacting negatively everyone's performance. So that actually is creating more stress, more work, more ineffectiveness, more inefficiencies in our in our workplaces because we're not in our optimal performance, which is when our nervous system is in coherence. And so I think this is a key part of, of burnout that comes in into play when we're thinking about what's going on or what's leading to this burnout in, in our workplaces. There's a couple of signs, you know, that to look for if you think you might be in burnout or you might have employees in burnout. Some of the initial signs are that there's health issues. So you might be experiencing fatigue and exhaustion, sleep deprivation, which actually then lowers your immunity to illness, creates foggy thinking and trouble concentrating. There are also emotional issues. So you have this detachment from your previous involve, uh, involvements. You feel un, unappreciated. There's a hopelessness or that depressed outlook, a loss of meaning. You're maybe more moody, impatient, short-tempered. These are the things that we see in terms of emotional issues. And then there, then it impacts our jobs. So we have higher job absenteeism and inefficiency. Our loss of motivation causes us to have an inability to actually meet the obligations we've said we would meet. And we start to withdraw from our coworkers and from social situations. And so these are kind of like the red flags of burnout. These are the things that when you see them either in yourself or people are key signs that someone may be in a burnout scenario, not just a high stress scenario. And, and they're the things to be looking for. So if that is what burnout is, if that gives us an understanding of, of what it is, then what causes it? What creates this burnout? And we talked a little bit you know, about the nervous system and our, our coherence and what's happening there. But I like to think of this as that there's really three contributing factors to burnout. And I like to use analogies a lot. So I'm going to use the analogy of a fire. And what causes burnout, if, if you think about a fire, there's three things. It takes three things to start a fire. And we need all three of those things in order for a fire to start. So the first is you need oxygen. You need that environment or the air. The second is you need fuel. You need logs, sticks, the things that are going to burn. And then you need a heat source. You need a spark or a flame. And these are the three things that we need when were in order to create burnout. These are the three things that lead to um, burnout. So when we think about these, I'm going to go through them one by one and what it kind of looks like in terms of, of the workplace and ourselves. So the oxygen is like our workplace environment or the culture. And so when we have cultures that have excessively high workloads, a lot of micromanagement, a lack of recognition, poor communication, collaboration, and conflict resolution, unfair work practices and discrimination, our values mis mismatch. These are the cultures that then create the, the environment or the set of circumstances that make a fire possible, that make it ripe for burnout to begin. So what is exactly is burning then? What is the fuel for burnout? So the fuel is 
our unproductive beliefs. It is, it is us as individuals and the things or beliefs or behaviors we've internalized as individuals that lead to lead us to push beyond the point of reason. So things like neuroticism, perfectionism, introversion, need for validation, a high, high achievement needs, imposter syndrome. These are different elements. And, and this isn't a comprehensive list. These are different things inside of us that cause us to push beyond the breaking point that cause us to go from from where we should say, stop, I need a break, I need to stop, but it causes us to keep going because we need other people to validate that we're doing a good job. So we have to keep working. We have to keep pushing. We have to get the project done. We can't drop the ball because we have this belief we need to be perfect. And it's these internalized elements about, about ourselves that create the fuel that allow the, the fire to burn. But in order to have a fire, you have to have a spark. So what is that heat source? What is that that spark or that heat source? It's any major challenge or crisis. So any, you know, a global pandemic, which we all just went through, death of a loved one, serious illness, child issues, divorce, pregnancy. These are all examples of major challenges or crises that happen in our lives that cause that spark, that cause the like little bit extra that starts the fire to burn, that starts, and it might just start as the smallest flicker and the smallest little flame, and then slowly grow over time, which is exactly what happened to me. So I've got a little bit, you know, a little bit about my story to give you my burnout story, which I think actually goes back five years. I think it was five years in the making of really challenging hard things that were adding up or creating that slow burn for me. So, you know, for me, I was managing multiple departments. I had a baby back in 2016. That was my first child. I was sitting on the leadership team. I was managing our IT department. I was managing talent management, legal and marketing at the time. Then I had a serious, serious health crisis in 2017. And my business sold a part of its business at the time as well. I went through, you know, being hospitalized. Um, I had a, an anaphylactic reaction. I was extremely ill, developed multiple autoimmune conditions while I was trying to sell part of our business. And then we acquired another business at the exact same time. So I was selling and acquiring a business and had multiple miscarriages all in the middle of what was going on. Fast forward to 2019. So a few months later, I am pregnant with twins and I go through a twin pregnancy, which is not an easy pregnancy. It's a lot of doctors of visits, a lot um, of testing and things required. And we were transitioning our business to an ESOP, which is basically like selling the business again. So we were selling our whole company to an employee stock ownership program business. End of 2019, we transitioned that the leadership of that business. So the president retired and a new president took over. And at the same time, my twins who were born now were diagnosed with a food protein intolerance, which meant they couldn't take formula. So I had to continue to nurse, pump, get donated breast milk in order to feed my babies. And so I was just getting back into the office at the beginning of 2020. I was pumping during trainings, trying to keep it all together. Then the COVID-19 pandemic hit. 
as an attorney, so I was responsible for legal. I was the head of our, our talent management department, and I was responsible for our IT department. There were a lot of things we had to work on in all three areas as we transitioned from in, in office to out of office. And at the same time, I added two new departments. I added order management and project coordination and customer service to my set of responsibilities. So I added these additional teams and responsibilities at the same time that the pandemic was starting. And I had two of my employees who were managers on maternity leave at the same time. So it was a lot. And, and I had nine-month-old twins. I had a three-year-old boy. And that was when the pandemic was starting and we all had childcare challenges. My kids were at home. We were trying to figure out how to watch three kids. My husband works, as do I. And by the end of the year, our company went through a workforce reduction, which is incredibly stressful and challenging when you're trying to determine how many people to reduce and how to go through that process. My 2020 alone was enough to maybe put someone into burnout. We go into 2021 and in the spring of 2021, our business was hit by a ransomware attack. So our entire business infrastructure was taken down. We had to completely, we were negotiating with, um, with the, the threat actors. We were trying to conduct business, bring our systems back up. It was incredibly stressful and challenging. And at the same time, there were some internal business issues and dynamics, including relationship challenges that I had with people internally that just took me over the edge, took, took me to that point where you just lose hope. And so it's really looking back when I tell my story, not so much a surprise that I ended up in burnout, but when I was in it, in the moment, I had no idea that that was what burnout looked like. I had no idea that that was what was, what was happening or what was going on. And when I started to read Jennifer Moss's book about the burnout triggers, the list was just so perfect. It was exactly what I had been through. And so the list of burnout triggers are excessive workload, a perceived lack of control. So it doesn't actually have to be a lack of control. It could just be perceived. A lack of reward or recognition, poor relationships, lack of fairness, and a values mismatch. And when I read through that list a couple of weeks ago, I went check, 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 check. Like I had each of those elements. And so I think what's really helpful about this list is for individuals, individual performers to walk through it and understand whether they're experiencing any of these. And if they're experiencing any or all of them, especially if they're experiencing all of them, what impact that may be having on them, even if they don't necessarily see it or realize it at, at the surface level. Does that list surprise either of you, Meldina and Dana? What do you guys think of this list? For me personally, I mean, I think most of these are kind of no brainers, right? Like you've got an excessive workload. That lack of control is the one that hits home for me. I think for coming from a background where I'm a pretty perfectionist, so I like things in order. And when I perceive not even that I'm actually going through it or that that control is being taken away from me, but whenever I perceive that I'm losing that control, it triggers so much. It's kind of like you mentioned that over time, it triggers all these other things for me too. And, and then I'm in that burnout mode. Yeah. I think a lot of these things can really, for those who are maybe recovering perfectionists or 
or heavy perfectionist. I call myself a recovering perfectionist. Um, these things, all of these things can really add up in the brain. You know, the stories that we tell ourselves about, you know, our not enoughness or feeling out of control or those kinds of things can go when things start building, they can go rampant in our mind. They can just go crazy. And I think, you know, add poor relationships into that. And, and I think for me, that's when it gets really um, accentuated because oftentimes it does take somebody to mirror back to your inner strength and your power and that you've got this, somebody to talk things out with, at least for me. And I think most people, um, most women in particular, we're kind of talkers and social and, and we're very we oriented, but having those poor relationships on top of that is, is a, a, a combination for burnout for me, for sure. So all of these absolutely make sense. And, and I, I can definitely see all connected to stories we tell ourselves, the stories that we weave inside our minds about things. That values mismatch one is one I think that does surprise me a little bit because I think that's one that you don't often think about that if your values don't align with your manager or your team or your organization, it can lead to to the burnout because you're constantly chasing something that might not align with the rest of the group. And so you can see how you're kind of in that hamster wheel, just running, 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 running and run into that burnout very quickly. I feel like that that's very possible. I think something you said, Dana, was really interesting too, um, as I reflect back on my own experience, which is, so as the only, I was the only female executive leader in the, in the organization. So my challenges were unique compared to what any of the other leaders were going through. And although I did have employees to, um, you know, that had good friendships with and, the, and my managers that I was close with, I couldn't necessarily lean on them the same way for support or to share the depth of struggle necessarily that was going on. Um, and, and when I look back, there were points where I certainly was kind of reaching out for extreme help, you know, thro- throwing my hand up, talking about how I felt like I was, you know, barely keeping my head above water and, and things like that. But I think that um, because so much of my challenge was not visible, especially during COVID with being at home and just being a woman, not understanding that my, my male colleagues, not necessarily understanding what it was taking out of my body, both physically and emotionally to be feeding two babies around the clock while working in this, in this executive position. And, and I don't even think I necessarily realized how much physical impact that all of that was having, trying to do it all at the same time. So it's interesting. You talk about having someone to talk to, to identify these things and how, and and I think for women in HR, this may also be a problem um, because you're, you're kind of separated and you don't necessarily get the same opportunities to, you know, have a support system. So if you don't have a senior person who can support you who knows what it's like it can be really difficult to get that feedback you're looking for yeah and i just you have such a good point a lot of times we can just be going 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 and the next thing comes and we're just trying to manage 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 everything that's coming that we don't take a moment pause and stop and reflection of okay what is all this internal stress coming where is it coming from and i think that's why naming these kinds of things this is so powerful And for anyone listening and anyone that will listen to this, 
go through some of these things and ask yourself, like personalize this, ask yourself, am I experiencing these things? Don't keep it out here at a distance. Don't say, oh yeah, that that's a thing. And that's, that's a, that's what other people experience. Bring it on in. That's where impact can happen in your life. That's where you can make changes because you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Right. We get to acknowledge and name these things first, and then we can start shifting things. And I think that that that's powerful here as, as listeners are listening to this is personalize this, ask yourself, get curious, and then you can do something about it. Yeah. And I think, I think what we're really talking about here is if you can identify you're on the path to burnout how can you take action before, you know, before you get there, which kind of leads us into the, the next section, which is what do we do to prevent burnout? How do we, how do we know how to prevent it from happening in the first place? And so if we use our kind of fire analogy, any firefighter is going to tell you that it is easier to prevent a fire than it is to put one out. So we always want to put in the fire prevention efforts rather than, you know, wait to try to put it out once it's already started. So the best thing we can do is make the changes that we need to to prevent that burnout from occurring. So if we think about the the, ele- the three elements we talked about, and I'm going to start with the spark because the spark, we really can't change. We can't prevent the crises that happen in our lives, the global pandemics, the deaths, the divorces, the the pregnancies, maybe you could prevent the pregnancies, but most of us want them. But those are the challenges or the things that happen in our lives that are not things we eliminate or or get rid of. They're not things that we, we prevent from happening. What we can do something about is the environment and the fuel. And so if we start with the environment, we've got to look at our cultures, at those environments and the things that are happening within our workplaces and our communities that are leading to this extremely high level of burnout. What are the elements that are contributing to that culture or to these results that make it so easy for people to move into burnout? Because they wouldn't be burning out if the cultures weren't such that it was it, that they were conducive to burnout. And then the next thing is evolving ourselves. So how do we look at our own individual performance, at at what we're doing, at, at how we're performing, and what are those limiting beliefs or what are those internal behaviors and beliefs that are creating fuel for that fire, that are creating those outcomes or those results? So if we start for a minute and talk about evolving our, our cultures what could we do or what comes to mind, you guys, as things that we could do to evolve our cultures? I think really taking into account the balance of everyone working in the company, they're human. Humans are going to have human experiences. Emotions are always involved, whether you're in business, whatever you're in. There's always personal things and um, relationship things. There's lots of things that go into business. Um, And I think having a well-rounded perspective is a really important of work and deadlines, but also taking into account account the human experience and what each individual is experiencing. I also think having a safe place for people to be honest, to be honest and open with what's going on in their life and what's happening and to have a team of people that that support them, you know, even, even if it's not in your workplace, I think having that, like, you know, in my life, I know when I've been through some of my hardest times, like I make a list of people that I know I can go to, 
that are like my top people, you know? And so I think it's individual changes, but also, you know, the culture change comes from individuals asking more for what they want and individuals changing within then saying, okay, I think we need this shift in our cultures. I absolutely agree with Dana. I think it's kind of twofold. I think both parties have to do their part from the business standpoint. I think having the right practices and processes in place to to foster a culture that prevents burnout is going to be important. And just as important is making sure that individuals know to look out for these triggers and they have to know themselves when they're approaching that level of burnout, how can they what they do to prevent it. But then also if they are there, how are they going to put it out? What are the things that they've got to do? I totally agree with Dana there. It's got to be kind of twofold there. Each party's got to do their own part so that we can involve our cultures overall. I think it requires both, but I think when we focus on our cultures, part of it is the shift in cultural environment, the environments that we have And, you know, a shift from maybe one parent working families to two parent working families to access childcare and the challenges that come from all of that. And so if you have one person who's primary at home, it makes it much easier to put in an extra hour at the end of the day to get work completed. If you don't, you have that hour to go pick up your child or they start charging you $5 a minute, right? And it's, and I'm not joking for, for those of us that are parents, we know, right? And so it's it's a different set of challenges than necessarily what some of the, I think the cultural leaders maybe experienced as they rose to those positions, especially people that are later in their career that maybe experienced a different or had a different experience throughout their career. And I think when we look at um, look at the, the, the change in the culture, we're not just changing the culture or evolving the culture to like help the individual, although that's important. We're, we're actually evolving it because as our individuals get sick, as they burn out, they are no longer producing the results and, and performing at the level that we want them to perform. And so sometimes I think there's this cycle of, of people get have this heavy workload, they burn, they start to burn out and then their performance dips and now we push harder on them and so now it gets worse and it so it starts to just perpetuate itself in, into both parties being frustrated how come we're not getting as much work done as we should be able to well maybe you're running a team of people to you know into complete burnout, lack of coherence, where they're not performing well anymore, where they're making more mistakes, where they're not as productive as as efficient or as effective. So, you know, things like reward or recognition, I think oftentimes can get pushed to the side, like people don't really need that, or it's not that important, or it's their job. But, but you're actually negating the effects of stronger performance by not giving that recognition, because that little bit of um, dopamine that we get from recognition, from feeling good, from being told that we're appreciated, that we're doing a good job, that we're, you know, making meaningful contributions gives the energy, balances us back into coherence of pos- that po- those positive emotions, those positive feelings. And so if we're not getting any of those, if we're p- perpetually not getting recognition, reward, we're feeling overwhelmed, we're feeling overworked, we don't have control, it just begins to push them down. And so even if a person is the most accountable, 
you know, productive, effective person out there in the right culture, it may not matter, or maybe I should say in the wrong culture. So when we think about creating these, these cultures, you know, that I, I want to think about creating cultures that promote coherence. So really using like the latest in terms of neuroscience and knowing that when we get people into a higher level of coherence, into operating uh, more effectively, that then we're going to see those performance results. And so balancing our workloads, I include balanced breathing in here because just a little bit of time taking a breath can make a huge difference. You know, those positive emotions, giving flexibility and independence. That I think that's why there's such a push today around flexibility and how people work is because that alone gives them some energy, gives them some input, some control over their working world. You know, creating relationships and not forced relationships, but natural relationships, having inclusive cultures, and then educating people on, on values. And I think sometimes when we think about burnout, companies will go to the, the and, and Jennifer talks about this in her book, will go to the extreme of like well-being programs, or I'm going to get ping pong tables, or I'm going to, and those actually aren't the contributing factors to burnout. And so we need to think more about these other elements that are not about perks and benefits, not saying to take benefits away, but they're not about those things. They're about what's really happening internally with your people and what your environment is, is providing in terms of support to your people or lack thereof. So the next thing we have to do is, and you guys touched on this, is evolve ourselves. So what can we be doing to evolve ourselves. And I put up there around self-awareness and reflection. And I think you said it earlier, Dana, like sometimes when you get busy, you don't take the time for that self-awareness and reflection. And I think that's really true. I think if we don't appreciate the importance for where am I right now? Am I in a productive state? You know, then we just tend to push ourselves through the challenges that we're experiencing. And we don't really develop the practices that we need in order to be in that, in that higher coherence. I absolutely agree. I think um, self-awareness or reflection practices, you know, in a dream world, every company would be inviting their employees into this space. I think that this is one of the most powerful spaces, um, especially when you enter in with what I call loving curiosity. Um, as a recovering perfectionist, you know, you can go into self-awareness and reflection and it can be painful. It can be really painful to take accountability and responsibility for where you're at and your actions. And for some people, that's really hard. But if you teach this in a really powerful way of loving curiosity, being really honest with yourself, um, with the reality of what is, and being kind to yourself in the process, people actually find that um, a reward in accountability when they can be taught to do it in a powerful way. Uh, this will empower you to make better decisions, to see yourself differently, to know how to shift things. It gives you all your power back. Self-awareness and reflection gives you all of your power back in how you show up, how you feel about things, and where you're moving. And it's this is one of my most favorite topics to talk about, and I've seen the difference um, in my own life and in others' lives as as I do so. But the the important part is that balance of doing. You know, accountability can be for some people really painful. Like, oh, I don't want to. You know, and so I think how we teach this and how we approach it can make a huge difference 
and um, is actually one of the most powerful tools that we could be using. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I've got the, the four keys that we, we use around peak performance of getting really clear on expectations, providing that feedback and motivation, which is that recognition and that, that rewards piece, using strengths-based development. So focus on what people do best and helping them to use that in order to keep growing their skills and abilities. And then creating a mindset of accountability, which is, is really personal accountability. So it's helping people learn how to take ownership over their lives and be empowered to, uh, to, to shift and change their mindset using a variety of different techniques in order to achieve the results and the outcomes that they want to achieve in their lives. And when you do those four things, that's where you really see yourself operate at that peak performance. Now, I'm going to be really honest here, though, and say that I knew these four keys in and out very well, and I still landed myself into burnout. What I didn't have was the self-awareness and reflection practices to know what my limits were. And looking back, there was actually another, another employee who um, I worked with who did this really well, who took very good care of herself, knew her boundaries, knew when she needed to end her day, start her day. But she struggled in the culture because the culture was a push harder culture. The environment was a work longer hours, stay late means you're more committed to the job. And that's, I think, the balance of where you've got to decide of you can do all the internal work you want, but if the environment doesn't reward results, it rewards hours worked or, um, you know, participation or visibility, then it's going to, then that's going to have a negative impact on, you know, on your progression and then lead you to burnout. And so I think that's part of that, that balance piece that came to mind as you were talking about that. So what if somebody's already in burnout? You know, what do we do to address current burnout and, and move beyond it? So I struggled a, a bit with this. And this isn't from, from, Jennifer's, uh, from Jennifer's book on the burnout epidemic, but from my own research. And I think there are really three things that when someone's really in burnout and not speaking from experience that I think we really need most. And those three things are rest, love, and joy. I'm going to qualify love in a second. So rest is probably the most obvious, right? Because we're exhausted, we're burnt out, um, you know, so how do we incorporate more time to, to, to replenish ourselves? And so it's getting really specific about boundaries. You, when you, by the time you're in burnout, by the time you have damaged your body to that level, you are going to need to make up for the time you've lost. So you've got to start accounting for that and figuring out how you're going to recover and get the rest that you need. Now, love, love is like a, a soft term. What I mean here is, is love, but appreciation, recognition, something that fills you back up that says, I matter, I'm important, um, I'm doing good things, I, my contributions are valuable, I feel like I matter in the world, I feel like I belong, I feel like people care about me. It's that those pieces that people need back to fill up that disconnection, that disengagement, the, the, the breaking down of relationships, they need that piece. And then the third piece of joy is how do I bring those feelings back into my life where I am filled with joy, where I want to work, where I want to live, where I want to see results, where I, where I am um, happy and, and feeling the effects of that 
throughout my life because we know when we experience joy, it it brings us back into that coherence, right? Those are the emotions that are going to bring us back into balance, which will allow us to achieve the results and the performance results that we want in, in our lives. So I'm curious what you guys think of these three things. Um, if you think I've maybe missed something or, or what you think around these. I love these. I think that all of these have to do with your choices, where you choose to say yes and spend your time. And they all come internally. Like the for you to matter, for you to, that your contribution makes a difference, that that um, your experiences of your life matter. All those things are internal. Oftentimes we wait for others to show us that love, but really what's the most powerful, and and I see this again and again and again in my coaching, especially um, with women. Women are so good at giving love, and it's really important that we turn that within for ourselves. We offer that love and kindness and generosity to ourselves that we give so generously to others. And so all that validation that you need, I can tell you from my own experience, needing that from everyone else and requiring that of everyone else is an exhausting game that will lead to more, more and more and more. It's like you're trying to fill a, a bucket with holes in it. And so you, you feel, you fill those holy places by giving yourself that validation. You know, I, I, something simple that I I did that was so good is I started because I'm a words of affirmation girl. So I loved compliments and I used to feel like I needed them for validation. And instead I started shifting it. When someone would give me a compliment, I I would quickly internally be like, Ooh, do I think that about me? Do I want to think that about me? Yeah. Okay. I like that. I received that. Thank you. And that's how I would respond to, that's how I decided to respond to validate my own self. And then, I, then throughout the week, if I really liked it, then I would repeat those things to myself in the mirror sometimes. And at first that, that could be awkward for some people, but it's so powerful to look yourself in the eyes and to say those things that you want other people to say. And um, as far as joy com- comes, joy is one of my most favorite words. It is, it is a core value of mine that is so, just so important to me. And joy to me is gathered in present moments of happiness over time. That is the, the accumulation of joy. Being present is key to joy. Being present for your children's laughter. Being present for those wonderful connections. Being present for those moments where you get to watch the sunset or the sunrise, those moments, you know, like this morning, I went on a bike ride and it was beautiful. I live in Utah. The mountains are incredible here. And I get to bike every morning by this river and do being present in that moment, soaking up those moments that I am a human being living fully. It's those moments that I'm present for that really create a joy in life, create a joy and a a wonder and a magic to life that we deserve to be more present for and really bring ourselves to that place in practice. I used to not be good at this and it's taken practice and time. It's just like a, a muscle to develop, but those are some things and keys that I would say really add to these, these three elements that really can and do make a difference. What about you, Meldina? Any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I I just love that these are so vague because it really lets people adapt what rest means for them, what love means for them, what joy means to them and how they're going to bring that into their lives. So rest for most people means sleeping, right? But it could also mean picking up a book and laying on the couch and deep diving into that. And that brings you rest. It's whatever de-stresses you, whatever brings you that calmness. That's what we're talking about. Same thing with love, same thing with joy. I love that these are just so open-ended that anybody can apply them and look for the ways that you can incorporate more of these into your life to be able to combat that burnout, I think is really, really important. Well, I like what you said about rest. And I would add there that, you know, two and a half minutes to balance breathing. So breathing six counts in, six counts out for two and a half minutes can last you 12 hours, can bring you 12 hours of more calm coherence. And so something as simple as that, if I were back in the workplace, that'd be the first thing I would implement is before any meeting, we just breathe for two and a half minutes. It's so small and it can make such a big impact for what you get accomplished in that next hour or whatever time that meeting is and and bring some some rest to, to people that are in the moment. And it's so small. So one of the things I wanna comment on with these three is I think that when we get into burnout and burnout is so intense that it's not going to be a quick recovery. Um, I'm a year out and I was just in the hospital again, um, you know, experiencing effects, long-term, the long-term effects of what I did to my body by pushing it so hard. And so, you know, I think being aware of how do we start to incorporate these practices into daily small practices. And even if you can't find joy in the present, um, one of the, the examples I would give is to go back to a moment where you've experienced joy in the past and just imagine and relive it in your mind for a minute. You know, it doesn't have to be for a long time, but just take one minute in order to bring that emotion into your heart and spread it, um, you know, throughout throughout your body. So if you're in burnout, I encourage, this is my first encouragement, is to find a place that can help you manage through your burnout, whether that's a therapist, a coach, a community of support, to find a space where you can come together around those practices and feel support and encouragement as you're going through them so that you're not on your own. I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't found the communities and and the coaches and the therapists, because I did all three, um, to help me uh, do the recovery process that I did in the last year couple of of next steps. One is I wrote a book about my whole experience called Fiercely Cherished Beings. It describes my journey of recovering uh, from burnout so far. I say so far because I don't think I'm done. And it um, describes how uh, the lessons that I learned to figure out how to cherish and love myself, how to not just love myself, but really take care of myself, cherish my being and who I am and how I exist and show up in the world in a way that's different. So that's one step you can take. The second is we have an evolving female leaders program. It's open right now. We only have 12 spaces, but we're looking for 12 fantastic women leaders who want to get this extra level of support. So it's not just burnout. It's everything to do with leadership. It's for an entire year, although you can sign up for just the first six months. It's very intense um, in order to provide the growth and development. And and I literally built it around uh, what I didn't get in the workplace as a senior executive female leader, what I felt I needed but couldn't get within my workplace. So we've got that program. And then we've also, we're also going to be doing our 
Evolving Ourselves and Our Workplaces program. And this is going to be based on something called MBIT, which is Multiple Brain Integration Techniques. And what we're going to be doing is using this neurological science-based approach to how to integrate and bring ourselves into coherence, how to do that both for ourselves individually and for our workplaces. So this is a great opportunity for you know, HR leaders, talent management leaders, um, you know, senior executives, different different individuals in different positions who want to learn about that and kind of go on a journey around that together. And we'll be putting out some more more information on that soon. So those are, you know, just a couple of ways to, to help get you started. And um, just a reminder for everybody how important it is to pay attention to this issue. It is snowballing. I think that actually globally right now, it's one of our biggest challenges because I think people everywhere are in burnout and don't know it. And so the more that we can, um, the more that we can take these steps and share our stories together in order to help each other through it, um, the better our, our results and outcomes are going to be. So I encourage you to, to, to reach out on either or on any of these. You can message any of us on um, LinkedIn or any of the social media platforms. You can go to, to um, Evolving to Exceptional's website um, and check out these programs. And we are super excited to be um trying to help make a difference in these spaces. If you guys have questions or comments or anything um, after this, or if you catch a recording of this, please do not hesitate to reach out. We love to hear from people and we really just want to make a big difference and in, in trying to help people to live better lives. Any final thoughts from Dana or Maldina? Thank you so much. This was wonderful. I love it. Remember to personalize this message and ask yourself questions and take simple actions, simple steps, one little baby step at a time. I echo everything Dana said. I think it's going to be just important for everyone to to really take what we talked about today and internalize it and see where you can do a little bit better when it comes to addressing burnout so that you don't get to, to the negative impacts that we're trying to prevent here. So um, thank you all for joining us. It was really a pleasure to be able to, to talk to you guys today. And have a great rest of your day. And as I like to end everything that I do, just remember to always keep evolving.